crew's battered little airship, the Void Cutter, climbs up through cloud and into dazzling sunlight. There, ahead of them, hangs the Mustang. Even knowing it is fashioned entirely from Urian floatwood, suspended beneath three immense gas-filled dirigibles and fitted with all manner of arcane counter-gravitational devices, the sight of the edifice still defies all reason. Nothing that massive should be able to hang in space like that. The Mustang Casino, headquarters of the Silver Nails, is part stately home, part fortress, part pleasure palace, a monumental construction of polished wood and stained glass that floats high above the city, tethered by long, long chains. Docked all around it are countless skyships, in all manner of shapes and sizes. The scale and the beauty of the place are breathtaking. Even Alphonse looks vaguely impressed. Sallow giggles. Looks like a big old sow with all her little porkers at her teats. The spider glances sidelong at him. She had been in two minds over bringing him along on such a delicate mission, but his skills are undeniable. She just prays he'll be able to keep his shit together. As they draw closer, Alphonse points. I recognise that ship. That'll be the crows from the spot. And I think that one over there is the foghounds by the look of it. Some tasty company, and company that hates each other's guts at the best of times. This could get spicy. Salo grins and nods enthusiastically. Spicy pork! But the spider is not listening. Instead, she's staring with a look of growing dread at a sleek clipper lacquered in gleaming midnight blue. Oh no, she whispers. Alphonse turns. Problem, boss? The spider's knuckles have turned white as she grips the railing. That ship! It's the Night Queen's shadow! Her companions look at her blankly. The spider drags her gaze away and turns to Alphonse and Sallow. There's an expression on her face that neither can remember having seen there before. Is that fear? The shadow is the flagship of the Undying, the Third Guild... She's captained by the Night Queen's right hand himself. That's Lord Tortimus's ship. Sallow hiccups. Alphonse spits. Shit. Fucking vampires. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer. An actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning the following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer. With Slate freed from Ironhook Prison, the web took some time to lick their wounds, to take stock and to consider their next steps. Tatters, it turned out, was alive, but badly affected by her ordeal and in need of considerable rest and recovery. 
Following a lead provided by Slate, the spider surprised the whole crew by announcing that she would be leading a team personally. Her team would need to get onto the Mustang and off again with two of the Silver Nails' deadliest enforcers, the Veil Sisters. These two, according to Slate, were agents of the Unseen, and they could potentially provide invaluable information. Valerian, meanwhile, was to lead another team into the underpipes. That team was tasked with doing what Mina had failed to do, uncover the source of the infernal powder, and neutralise it once and for all. State your pass number, Brother Cog. Valerian curses silently to himself. He and his crew are standing at an underpipe tunnel crossroads, weapons drawn, facing off against a machine cultist patrol who were doing the exact same thing. A classic Tanthian standoff, and trigger fingers are getting itchy. How the devil is he going to sweet talk his way out of this one? The answer comes from the one place he would have least expected it. Flint, of all people. Silent, brooding Flint. Flint, who has barely spoken ten words in total in the whole time that Valerian has known him. No, you state your part down, Brother Cog, he barks. And such is the tone of authority in his voice that even Valerian is almost compelled to obey. Do as he says, Trace whispers, her hand crossbow pointed unwaveringly at the lead cultist's head. Do as he says right now, or your precious bodily fluids will serve as a lubricant for the great machine. Valerian buys that one, too. There's a long, anxious pause. Sweat trickles down Valerian's neck. Damn, but these stupid masks are hot. Just when it seems it's all going to turn into a bloodbath, the lead cultist sags. My, my apologies, Brother Cog. I am Cog 2187. These are Cogs 0327 and 1138. You must forgive our caution. But this betrayal by the Pipe Runners has everyone jumping in shadows. There are rumours, brother. Rumours are wrecks infiltrated by unbelievers. Valerian knows his cue when he hears it. He steps in close, placing a reassuring hand on the cultist's arm and adopting a conciliatory tone. Indeed, Brother Cog. These are interesting times, to be sure. But let us not allow the perfidy of outsiders to derail us from our holy course. Now, more than ever, our glorious purpose becomes manifest. The day of the machine is at hand. We, our cogs, uh, 4747, uh, 1701, and 2233, and we will accompany you back if your patrol is its end. The leader nods vigorously. Yes, Brother by all means. We are heading back to the Great Hall now, and would welcome additional strength in numbers. Come. We should make haste back to the security checkpoint. Even with the pipe runs broken, these tunnels are not safe. Apparently, Valerian's completely random guesses at identification numbers have raised no flags, which does rather raise the question as to their efficacy as a security measure. But Valerian is not about to look a gift horse in the mouth, not when he's got this idiot exactly where he wants him. Clearly fear and the desire to be told what to do are powerful motivators. So far so good. He only hopes that Alpha Team are having such an easy time of it. (laughs) 
black iron balls, but this place still kicks ass. Alphonse grins, looking around at a scene of buzzing, decadent opulence. From their vantage point up on the balcony, the gaming hall spreads out below them, a visually dazzling panoply of illusion and artifice spread out amidst gilded classical columns and beneath the light of a dozen huge kaleidoscopic floating chandeliers. The place is packed, with well-heeled gamblers crowded around scores of gaming tables. There is a constant background roar of excited chatter, of cries of triumph, of groans of despair. The Nails have controlled the Mustang Casino for nearly 15 years, ever since claiming it as payment from a defaulting client. Since then, it has continued in its role as the foremost gambling establishment of Kairos, a playground for the city's criminal and social elites alike. Gambling, and pretty much anything else you can think of, if you have the means to pay. Up here, just outside the city's jurisdiction, the Mustang sits unregulated, beyond the reach of Kairos law enforcement. Not that you don't see senior representatives of the city's police, judiciary, and political functions. This is neutral ground, a neutrality that has long been understood by all, along with the price of transgression. For the Mustang has also served as the aerial fortress of the Nails, their uncontested headquarters and the centre of their power. Only the extremely foolish or the extremely suicidal would consider challenging that power in this place of all places. Which one are we, I wonder? The spider asks herself, though she does an excellent job of keeping her concerns from her face. Showing vulnerability in a place like this is a surefire route to getting your wallet emptied. And if there's one thing you don't want to be in a place like this, it's poor. Just keep your mind on why we're here, Crater, the spider mutters. Remember, we're not here for fun. Sallow is looking uncharacteristically forlorn. No fun in here, spider. This place is all twitchy. Bad meat. Wrong. I hear you, Sallow. Just play your part and this will all go smooth as silk, okay? Crater, Crater, go play for a bit and keep Sallow close. I'm going to work the room. Meet back here in twenty, all right? The spider glides down the sweeping, scarlet-carpeted staircase and into the maelstrom. She drinks in the atmosphere, riding the half-heard conversations, the disparate snippets of information that coalesce all around her into solid patterns and themes. Sallow's gut reaction is right on the money, as usual. Beneath this sparkling veneer, this place is wired and ready to blow. Tensions that have existed for years between factions, that have barely tolerated one another until now, have been laid bare by the current troubles in the city. It is clear that it is only the Nail's massively heightened and very visible security presence that is keeping the lid on things. Barely. Not the ideal environment for information gathering. She is mildly surprised to find Alphonse and Sallow already waiting for her when she returns at the agreed time. Wonders will never cease. It's pretty much as we surmised, she informs her companions. Damn near everyone is ready to murder everyone else, and unsurprisingly the whole place is shitting bricks over the unexpected arrival of Lord Tortimus. And with good reason, it would seem. If the prevailing wisdom is to be believed, he is here to challenge the Lord General for control of the Mustang and the Nails. 
If we thought this place was a powder keg before, well, it's triply so now. Well, that sounds like a good thing, right? Alphonse, as ever, sees the upside in the potential for extreme violence. This place is a powder keg and we're a taper. Getting these idiots kicking seven shades of shit out of each other gives us a perfect cover to snatch their sisters and get the fuck out of here. Result. Crater is not far wrong, the spider ponders. Chaos is never a bad cover. The trick lies in avoiding getting swallowed up in it. The case in point, though she keeps this news from the others, the blowback from the iron hook job is nowhere near as contained as Valerian had hoped. So far, it's nothing more than whispers and rumours, but in the short time that she's worked the room, she has heard that job linked to the web from two different sources. That is not good news. Rumours have a nasty habit of turning into knocks on the door and the head from the bluecoats. Still, best to focus on the positive. Good news indeed, Crater. Almost as good as you two not being thrown out for starting any fights while my back was turned. Sallow, sat cross-legged on the stairs, looks up innocently from the array of chips, wallets and weapons he has managed to purloin. The spider ignores him and continues, As you say, Greater, prevailing conditions appear generally positive. There are just two minor hurdles remaining for us to circumvent. First, the sisters are nowhere to be seen. And second, no doubt linked to the first the lower floors of the complex are completely sealed off to the normal punters. Security are letting through VIPs by exclusive invitation only, and so we're going to need to bypass the watertight security cordon, access the VIP-only area without getting made, secure the sisters without getting us or them killed, and get back out again. Any questions? Ready for my faith to be weighed, my brothers. Let the sacred machine oils flow through me. Let my feeble flesh be tested, either tempered in the forge of the great machine's will, or scoured from me bones and sluiced into the unguent vats. Praise be to the Mechanicus Divinicus. The machine cultist takes the proffered steel chalice and drains the tar-like substance within at a single draught. For a long moment, nothing happens. And then the cultist doubles over in agony. Ah, it burns! It burns, me brothers! I'm found wanting! My faith was all pure! The cultist projectile vomits up a mixture of black oil and scarlet blood and then collapses to the deck, shrieking and thrashing in agony as his flesh bubbles and bursts. Within moments, there is nothing left of him but a hissing puddle of melted skin and bone. Two cultists, clad in black rubber aprons and gloves, step forward and hose the remains into the troughs either side of the metal gangway. The red-robed oil dispenser, unmoved, refills the chalice from the vat tap and calls out, Next! The queue of masked cultists waiting to access the Great Hall shuffles one step forward, and the next supplicant grips the chalice in both hands. A few places back in the queue, Trace leans close to Valerian and whispers, I thought you had intel on their security measures. Please take you, Valerian. How do I keep letting you get me into situations like this? It'll take a miracle to get out of this. I swear, if you would not have vomit out your own guts, 
us. I'd stab you in the right here and now. Calm yourself, Trace. This is not a problem. Valerian whispers back. I have the situation completely under control. It's all part of the plan. The plan, Valerian reflects, that was defenestrated at just about the same time they set foot in this hellhole. There was a damn good reason why they'd sent someone else into the underpipes instead of going in themselves. He'd been aware that this mission bordered on the suicidal. But even he hadn't anticipated that he'd end up being the one to self-administer the fatal blow. It might be funny if it wasn't quite so deadly, excruciating and imminent. Naturally, he hasn't the faintest idea how to get himself out of this god-awful mess, let alone how to save Trace and Flint. Still, he's not about to tell them that. Think, Valerian, there must be something. Something turns out to be someone, or rather several someones. A heavily armed squad of blue-robed cultists is approaching at pace. Their leader waves a heavy axe at the oil dispenser. You, blasphemer! You would desecrate the sacred machine oil on such as this! He gestures, furious at the queuing cultists. Is it not written that the sacred oils are like unto the very blood of the machine? Or is it not also written that the flesh of man is unclean, the very antithesis of the machine? To combine them thus is the very basis of crimes. Cease your sacrilegious works at once, Brother Cog, or be damned as a heretic! The oil dispenser, the rubber-clad hoses, and several of the queuing cultists square up to this new group. It is you who should stand trial, unbeliever. Verily, it is written that the oils are like unto the blood of the machine, and only the righteous may ingest them. We are doing the machine's work here, brother, scathing away the unworthy and the damned, leaving only the pure and the true believers. He leans closer, holding the chalice of oil out. Drink, my brother, drink and prove your faith. The scene rapidly devolves into shouting, shoving, the drawing of weapons. Wishing he could see the furious scowl that he knows is under Trace's mask, Valerian leans in close to his companions. You ask for your medicals, Trace. I give you a religious schism. You're welcome. Now, I suggest we make ourselves scarce. This is highly likely to get messy. So, the two-fisted score experiment begins. We kicked off with Alpha Team, and after giving them a 12-segment clock called Get Out With The Sisters, I started by rolling on the picture oracle for the starting scene description. Now, I knew from the engagement roll that the starting position was going to be risky here, so whatever I rolled needed to be interpreted in that light. What I got was a lobster claw and an exploded cracked circle. Well, that frankly, stumped me completely, and so I walked away and let it stew for two days. And then I came back to it, and I still didn't have the foggiest idea what that damned lobster claw meant. And so I decided to not worry about it too much, just go a bit abstract, and I figured that it might represent the rigid control of the silver nails on the one hand. On the other hand, that circle looked very much like the cracked circle that I'd seen on one of the previous chapter's oracle responses, only now it was exploding. And back then, the cracked circle represented a fractured alliance with repercussions to come, and I suppose that now it was exploding, it felt like those repercussions were playing out. 
only the rigid grip of the silver nails was keeping a full war from breaking out on the mage tech Las Vegas that is Mustang Casino. That suggested that there were multiple factions present, and so I made a series of random rolls on my faction list to determine who. By far the most interesting of these was the combination of a complication result on my simple oracle and the introduction of the vampire lord Tortimus. The Blades faction that I actually rolled was Lord Skurlock, but I had an established villain in my Chained World setting who was a very close match and so I decided to swap him in. And as the spider's reaction shows, Lord Tortimus and the Undying are some seriously badass bad guys, so the stakes just got upped quite considerably. Strictly speaking, in Blades, you're supposed to dive right into the action at the start of your score, placing your crew at the point where they need to make an action to overcome some initial obstacle. But I figured that because this was the teaser section at the start of an episode, and because story-wise we lacked a little bit of narrative context for the upcoming scene, it made sense to do a sort of opening cinematic, CGI-heavy money shot. Anyway, hopefully it all looked suitably impressive and majestic in your head. A quick word on the Mustang. The reason that we have ourselves a giant floating casino fortress is down to a single role in the Alpha Team score setup in the last chapter. As part of that score, I rolled a twist which told me the location was mobile. I spent a little while trying to figure out what a suitably mobile location for this score might look like in the context of the Silver Nails and this city on a chain generally, and the Mustang Casino is what I ended up with. After all, what better setting is there for a heist? If it's good enough for Ocean's Eleven, it's good enough for me. With this scene drawing to what seemed like a natural close, it was time to move over to Bravo Team. This time, the scene setting rule was clearer. The picture oracle gave me a pair of pistols and a pair of crescents. Weapons drawn, but in balance, sounded like a standoff. Before resolving anything, I started by giving Bravo Team their own 12-second clock as well, uncover the source of the powder. I figure that neutralising the powder source is actually probably a big enough deal to warrant an entirely separate score, possibly even more than one, so for now I'm just sticking to finding out what the source is. I made a couple of action rolls, one a command roll for Flint and one a sway roll for Valerian, and both came up as straight successes. Four segments marked off of their clock already, and no complications. This almost feels too easy. I can't help thinking that when the other shoe drops, it's going to drop twice as hard. A shiny gold star, by the way, to anyone who got all six COG part number references in that scene. Some were straightforward, others were a little bit more obscure. Then I switched back to Alpha Team again. Spider had made a successful study roll and then a consort roll that gave her a success, but with a consequence of one heat. Four segments marked off the Alpha Team mission clock. I was interested to learn if Spider had found out what Tortimus and the Undying were up to, and so I asked off the back of that consort roll if anyone knew what was going on, and I got a yes, but. That but meant that whatever images came up on the Oracle, I'd be interpreting them in a fairly negative light, at least for someone. The pictures that came up were a sort of explosive firework display and a broken shield. My interpretation of that was there was an explosive threat to the defenders, which in this case seemed obviously the Silver Nails. And then, finally, it was back to Valerian and Bravo team again, 
I started this scene without really any clear idea of what my PCs were going to do next, and so I handed the talking stick from PC me over to GM me, and I rolled on my handy GM oracle, designed for exactly this purpose. That came up as signal impending trouble, and so I made a quick check on my picture oracle and came up with a picture of Anubis and a dripping test tube. Anubis, as you likely know, was the jackal-headed Egyptian deity who presided over the embalming process and who accompanied dead kings into the afterworld. When newly dead kings were being judged by fellow god Osiris, Anubis placed their hearts on one side of a scale and a feather on the other, all very moon night. Well, this knowledge, combined with the tube dripping some odd chemical, suggested that the approaching trouble involved the weighing of souls somehow who was a good and true believer, and who was going to get their flesh melted into a puddle. Valerian then took the survey action to find a way out of this mess, which I deemed a desperate situation. He pushed that roll at the cost of two stress, and then once again, amazingly, I rolled another straight success. My luck with the dice is starting to scare me. That piper is going to want paying at some point, of that I have no doubt. But for the time being, Bravo Team's clock moves to 6 out of 12. I asked the picture oracle what Valerian saw that could help the team, and got a pair of crossed axes and a potion bottle. Well, that seemed straightforward. There was conflict over the oil. Take one religious schism, add a diehard quote, and stir violently. And that's it. All in all, I think that two-team approach is working out pretty well so far. And the switch to a wider cast of characters is also proving manageable, just. That's helped a little bit by basically having Flint being mute, Scale just spitting invective, and Sallow giggling like a loon. It's early days, of course, and it'll probably take a little while for these characters to emerge and gel. Hopefully, they'll soon start to feel a bit distinct and realised. As always, I'd welcome your thoughts on how things are going from a listener perspective. I think... Probably I'm still missing a great deal of nuance from Blades in the Dark, but honestly, I don't think it matters very much. I have the core down, I think, and that's plenty to make it feel like a working game, and a reasonable toolset to build my story with. A story that will continue next time. You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com where I include any links mentioned in the episode as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.